Good morning. Welcome to Convocation. My name is Melinda Berry. I'm actually a Goshen College graduate, class of 1996. And I'm here teaching in the Bible Religion Department and with the Women's Studies faculty. This fall, I've been teaching a class titled Images of Eve and Mary. And this convocation, as you, I hope, all know, is going to be a little bit of an exploration of some of these themes. This painting by Berthold Furtmeyer, it's titled The Tree of, Le of Death and Life, sums up the relationship of Eve, Mary, or Mariam in Aramaic, and Mary of Magdala. Through woman, we fell into sin. Through woman, God brought us redemption through Jesus Christ. And through woman, we understand the power of penitence and forgiveness. At least this is the theological shorthand for the way we traditionally tell the story of womankind in a Christian perspective. As I already mentioned, this semester, my students and I have embarked upon an interdisciplinary exploration of Eve, Mariam, and the Magdalene. We have seen these women in art, in literature, and in Christian belief. This convocation is a sampling of what we have learned both from each other and from Eve and the Marys. The words and images we are sharing with you this morning are our words and images, as well as the words and images from our tradition as Christians. How we weave all of this together, though, demonstrates our indebtedness to and a bit of an appropriation of another tradition, that of Jewish Midrash. At a basic level, Midrash is simply a vast body of interpretive commentary on Torah and the five scrolls. Those would be the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Esther, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Donna Berman explains that Midrash uses allegory and additional narrative to fill in the gaps left by an often terse biblical text. She adds, Midrash is creative and imaginative. It can take the form of artwork, dance, music, poetry, and prose. The most important aspect and possibility of Midrash for members of Images of Eve and Mary has been the affirmation that the black letters of scripture as well as the white spaces in between them are holy. Where the story is incomplete, Midrash encourages us to wander into the in-between spaces of what is said and what is unsaid, and wonder how those spaces might be filled and voices given to the voiceless. Our practice has been to ask questions that emerge from these spaces, and together we have found some remarkable things. And so we begin at the beginning with Eve, mother of all the living. Recall that Genesis tells us that Eve ate fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which she shared with Adam. And so we ask the question, you are a child of Eve. How have you been nourished by her desire to know? O Eve, 
my mother, what is that in your reaching hand? That apple you caressed with your, with your fingertips. Soft newborn lips, the taste afterwards on your tongue, crisp against square white teeth. Or was it a mango? Did you slice it and unfold it inside out? into a flower, bury your face in its sticky orangeness, slide it across your tongue and into your virgin stomach? Or were they like grapes, bursting against the cathedral of your mouth, another and another again from the earth's fingertips? Was it tart like elderberry, rhubarb juice, raspberry pinpoints, or rich and dark as pomegranate nectar? Was it the first summer tomato, warm and comforting in the sun, a homecoming? Or was it a full frontal, slurping, spitting watermelon feast, you having stuffed yourself and plenty still left when Adam came along hungry and longing? The gross anatomy of a nerve cell goes like this. There's a cell body with lots of fingers sprouting off called dendrites, and they receive the input. Then there is an axon, which is one large fiber in charge of output. The physical part of the nervous system is not where the action happens. It happens in the teeny spaces between the cells called the synapse, where the neurotransmitters, or chemicals, interact and decide whether or not a message can be delivered. Chemicals decide our thoughts, actions, how fast we slow, our heartbeats, what we think of a painting. Perhaps this is oversimplifying, but when looking at the anatomy, it is hard not to stand back and wonder. A summary of the nervous system is that it's the communication that acts out our desires, thoughts, and needs. In a sense, the mere thought that we can think about who we are and why we think is something special, something sacred. The quest for knowledge, for understanding how we work, is key to my understanding of how I have been nourished by Eve's desire to know. Learning the specifics of how we are able to communicate is what makes me fascinated with the miracle of life. This thirst and hunger for knowledge that Eve chose to give us is a passion that makes me want to learn. Now, many of us on this campus did not grow up with the practices of Marian devotion. All we know or think about Mary comes from Christmas songs and Sunday school take-home papers and Christmas plays. When we consider the imagery, symbols, and official church teachings or dogma that surround Mary, we find great importance is placed on her virginity. But in our class, we weren't in agreement about what virginity is, or for that matter, how we understand it morally or theologically. Why do virginity's connotations shift when we talk about women's virginity compared to men's? And does that even matter? Maybe we're better off just singing Christmas songs and not worrying about any of this. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child. 
the Virgin Mary had a baby boy. To you this night is born a child of Mary, chosen Virgin Mild. The Virgin Mary had a baby boy. With Mary we behold it, the Virgin Mother kind. The Virgin Mary had a baby boy. But that's not all she did. Mariam of Nazareth, a namesake of Moses and Aaron's sister Miriam, is closely associated with the white Easter lily you see there on the screen. Early in Christian art, this flower represented Jesus as the risen Christ, as well as the purity of virgin martyrs. Art historian Diane Apostolos Capadona explains this to us. She writes, by the medieval period, the same flower signified Mary, especially in the context of the Annunciation, because the flower bloomed around the time of the Feast of the Annunciation, that is, March 25th. This is, the Annunciation is when Gabriel came to Mary and said that she was going to have a child. And remember, we know that the Annunciation happened on March 25th because that's nine months before December 25th, Christmas Day. Now, this flower also has the shape of the trumpet, which announced the birth, and hence also the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to tradition, the lily sprang from the tears of the repentant Eve as she departed the Garden of Eden. As Mary became the second Eve in Christian art and theology, this flower was reclaimed for her as she became our entryway into paradise. The Annunciation is recorded in Luke's Gospel and begins with Gabriel declaring, Ave Maria. Did you know that if you search iTunes using this little Latin phrase, you get 150 results? Aretha Franklin and Barbara Streisand, Burl Ives and Frank Sinatra, Jewel and Kenny G, Winona Judd and Stevie Wonder. These folks have all recorded musical versions of these powerful words. Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. To be sure, uncertainty and fear followed close upon Gabriel's heels for Mary. But they did not have the last word. Joseph Tetlow observes that Mary was alone at the Annunciation. She had to be. Each human must make, must make alone those personal choices that confirm the deep structure of a unique human life. She made her choices alone, each of which turned out to be a generous self-donation, first to God, then to the one to come, and in the end, to all whom she, with, with whom she shares humanness. Mariam found courage and hope. She found the strength to sing a song that echoes even in our generation. It is a song of justice, a song of praise. My soul is filled with joy as I sing to God my Savior. You have looked upon your servant. You have visited your people. I proclaim the power of God. You do marvels for your servants. Though you scatter the proud-hearted and destroy the might of princes. To the hungry you give food. Send the rich away empty. 
In your mercy, you are mindful of the people you have chosen. Virgin really means a woman unto herself, a whole woman, a soul mother. What a shift from thinking that a virgin is what you are until you are made complete by a man. Mary said yes to God. Mary opened the door for the rest of us to understand the power of choice. Now, Mariam is not the only Mary in the Christian scriptures. In fact, Mariam of Nazareth is often the foil both, between e both to Eve and the Mary with the worst reputation, or so we've been told. That is Mary Magdalene. As we spent time unraveling Mary Magdalene's character development within Christian art and legend, Diane Apostolos Cappadona's observation that, quote, Mary Magdalene, her story and persona have become muddled over the centuries in the hearts and minds of believers seem to be an understatement. In Western Christianity, we think of the Magdalene as a prostitute. We assume she is the woman caught in adultery, which actually isn't the same thing as prostitution, and or the penitent sinner who anoints Jesus' feet. And here, folklore has claimed that she was a harlot, a fallen woman. And on the other extreme, there is also no evidence that she married Jesus. All of this is contrary to the early iconography or visual representation of Mary. She was resurrection witness in those early depictions. Over time, though, these images changed for many complex reasons. And we learn of Magdalene, biblical scholars and church historians tell us, from, the, from four passages in the Gospels. And we have to return to these and sort of pull away all of this other tradition that has grown up around her. Mark and Luke tell us that Jesus cast seven demons out of the Magdalene. And then Matthew, Mark, and John identify Mary Magdalene as one of the people who keeps vigil at the foot of Jesus' cross. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us she is one of the women who brings spices and oils to Jesus' tomb to anoint his body. And Matthew, Mark, and John are unequivocal that Mary Magdalene is the first witness to Jesus' resurrection. This woman from Magdala is the apostle to the apostles, St. Augustine said. Her gospel is a resource to us, not because she is an example of a fallen woman, that is Eve, restored to virtue, that is Mary, but, as Karen King explains, because the Magdalene doesn't falter when the Savior departs. Mary as the reformed prostitute certainly adds to the drama of religious conversion, but this distorted portrait undermines the power of her witness and her fortitude. German theologian Dorothy Zola explains, see, the Romans feared that, that the graves of executed enemies of the empire, like Jesus, could become places of pilgrimage for like-minded persons and centers for conspiratory elements. She makes a, Zola here makes a, a parallel in describing a similar dynamic that was present during black South African struggle against apartheid when the white minority government prohibited funeral services and rites at the graves of young people murdered for their activism. Again, quoting Zola, 
Quite consciously, Mary Magdalene and the other women chose to be witnesses. Mary Magdalene embodies the fear and the mourning of the whole community after Jesus has died. She is more courageous than the men. She looks for Jesus outside at the grave, a public place that was avoided by them. The twelve are still sitting in fear behind closed doors. They are the servants of death. Mary Magdalene goes to them so that they may too participate in resurrection. Resurrection is the sign of a power that changes life and breaks its subservience to and cooperation with death. The resurrection has need of witnesses, for it does not function here for the sake of Jesus' return to his Abba, but for the sake of liberation of all people from fear and submission to the powers of death. I hope that this sampling of Eve, Mariam, and Mary Magdalene leaves you curious, asking questions, and eager to wander into the spaces of life where these women live on in the myths, practices, beliefs, and literature of Christianity. As I consider these women and what they symbolize for me as a woman who seeks to bring together Christian faith and feminist commitments, I see choice. Now, this is not the choice that gets sort of caught in the barrage of reproductive rights rhetoric, but choice in the sense of discerning how we will live, what we will believe to be possible, how we nurture hope, when we will testify, and where we will find shelter. Thank you for wondering about these women.